Good evening, everybody. It's episode 18. I am Jim. I'm Bob. Oh, Bean, how are you? I'm, you know, I'm not too bad, actually, mate. Pancake day today, so uh, I'm just about to uh, knock up a bit of batter, heat up and oil the crepe pan, and I'm going to start <laughs> tossing it all off. <laughs> <laughs> Today's actually a pretty big day for a number of reasons. I'll tell you for why. Today is Shrove Tuesday. I, for one, have already... Um, frequented multiple lemon and uh, sugar numbers with uh, my dear wife. It no, is, that is the only way to have a pancake, is to squeeze lemon and sugar. I, well, I, I'm I, actually... I uh, yeah, you're I mean, going to say Nutella, aren't you? No, 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 no. Come on, Robert. I'm a man of exquisite fine dining. So, um, <laughs> But I am a massive fan of a maple syrup and bacon uh, stack. So, oh, um, divine. Yes, yes, that is. Uh, but obviously being in Dubai still, and I will tell you why when I uh, get my chance to rub my hands together on point two. <laughs> uh, that obviously, I'm in a, in a Muslim country and um, pork is hard to come by, so we, we lemon and we sugared. It is the eve of my dear wife, my Nicole's birthday, so... Oh, many happy returns for tomorrow. Yes, and it will be tomorrow very shortly because I'm four hours ahead of you. So um, oh, maybe we should yes. crack open a bottle of something. Ah, oh, very <laughs> nice too. Yeah, so I've, um, I've been trying to allure her away from the knockings of the apartment door because I had a few deliveries coming in. I said, oh, there's some no-gooders out there playing chicken, don't worry, you know, because I've got balloons hiding in the, in the uh, gantry and uh, it's... Um, it's um, it's the right palaver, but hopefully I can still create some kind of a um, birthday for my beloved. You better go out for dinner at least, which is more than we could do in this country. Yes, yes, we are. We're going for uh, um, a bit of tomahawk tomorrow night, actually. So, um, <sighs> you sexy beast! I know, I know. <laughs> I impress myself sometimes. Uh, I point. I hope you're not going to get the violins out on point two because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be putting their fingers up, pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, what well, else is it today? Tell me, tell me what today is. I need to know more today talking to the people who come to this show for the passion, for the love, for the thing we share, the Arsenal. Today marks a decade to the day Arsenal beat Barcelona at the Emirates in 2011. Was that the one where RVP got sent off? Well, he got sent off in the away leg. He didn't get sent off in the home leg. Absolute travesty, that. So this was the infamous 2-1 win. Jack Wilshere's finest game in an Arsenal shirt. I think Jack Wilshere completed football that evening, you know, and uh, and I tell you who else had an exceptional game that night. But Wilshere stumbled all the point. Lauren Koscielny was formidable that evening. I mean, he'd not long been an Arsenal player, and the way he handled Messi that night, you just thought, oh my god, have we really filled the number six shirt? Have we got the French donkey? You know, uh, Le Donquet. So, um, <laughs> um, oh, it was just, it, it was such a special evening, you know, like the, the, the Red Action Group who obviously helped Arsenal out. There was, there was red and white everywhere. They had these humongous, great big swaying flags. Everyone had a red or white thing on their, on their seat. So the atmosphere, the Champions League music bellowing out around the Emirates. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to go to the Emirates since its existence, and it was by far and away my finest Emirates experience. It was just an unbelievable evening. 
you know, it, I remember watching it on TV. I wasn't able to go. And it, I just watched it. And you're almost a little bit surreal when you watch a game like that because you don't believe. Because for, for, for many years, Arsenal were the perennial get to the knockout stage, draw a Barca or a Bayern Munich, get dicked and then move on. But on that day, you just thought, wow, is this happening? Is this the final chance? Is this making up for five years ago when we lost in the uh, Champions League final against Barcelona? Obviously, it never turned out that way in the end of the two legs, but what a result that was. No, but that that exact memory that you just described, you know, me and 60,000 others went off to our retrospective tube station or other ways of transport, thinking exactly that, you know. So it was, yeah, it was... Not um, that one, James. Just just changing the subject slightly. What tube do you use when you go? What station? Well, when I, um, was, when I was living north of the water, I would use um, Finsbury Park and the Victoria Line back to Seven Sisters. And then probably now, living south of the water, I probably would use Finsbury Park and go south to, to Vauxhall. I, I am a, I am a keen Finsbury Parker, mainly because I, I enjoy a, a nice delicate stroll, taking myself from one hostelry to another before finally seeing myself arrive at the Emirates. Yeah, where and, and apologies to anyone that are coming to contact after that because <laughs> I've, pro- I've probably been there for a good four hours before. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean. Everybody has their favourites. I mean, for me, I'd only ever drink in three pubs. The Eaglet, the Tollington, and my all-time favourite, the Old Triangle. So, oh, I the, do like the Old Triangle. It's a beautiful, very small, it's traditional London pub. It, you know, it's proper mm. spit and stordust, you know. You know, the, the, Wolves fans particularly, I know it's only Arsenal, but the ladies from Wolves come down there <laughs> and they feel right at home. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Old Triangle is a cracker and normally always has a... Um, a good uh, variety of, of. I like that residential road where they're all offering barbecue or sweets. Thomas's or, Road. Yeah, absolutely. They're, you know, and then oh. you, you know, there's just there's, a fi- there's, there's some fine dineries, home-based dineries as well. But Do look, you know what I like most about that road? I mean, everyone sees it, but I went with a friend of mine, Azar, and he particularly enjoyed and picked up on this. The way that when you walk to the ground, they're all facing you, and during the match, they spin round the wagon, so they're facing yes. the other way. It's it's utterly genius how these people operate, and they must make yeah. a killing. Anyway, yeah. that's enough of uh, memory lanes and things like that. Mm. Where are we, old boy? Let's lead on to Leeds, shall we? Ah, uh, the three sides of Arsenal season in one game. The oh. good, the bland, and the ugly. <laughs> oh, it was it was literally like a game of like 30-minute segments. Uh, I've been talking to you off air and I've been sort of flipping a coin with my own mental kind of mindset of processing how I feel about this game. And it's very easy to get on the bandwagon three points again and but I am just, as an Arsenal fan, I've decided I do not, I am not okay with conforming to the ideology of accepting mediocrity. I'm just not okay with it. Gosh, you dropped in some words there, boy. You're yes. right, James. There was plenty of, uh, plenty of good, some good English there, wasn't there? But yeah. um, Some proper English. I'm compelled under the way in which the guides of social media and some of the global fan base are looking at this thing and... Like that was a good result. 
And yes, it is in that sentence a good result. Three points is three points. You know, the old age thing on the golf course, there's no pictures on a scorecard. But that is shooting level par and never hitting the middle of the club face. And that that doesn't bode well for a season, it bodes well for a round. And that's exactly the point, you know, with that game. We with Bielsa going behind quickly and in succession, I mean, because the first half now didn't do much, but then we scored three quick goals. You were always going to get the Leeds team that every Arsenal fan, manager, management, player craves, where they are going to, like the two banks of four are going to lose all shape. They're going to open up and they're going to try and score back at you. And by God, you know, Leeds did, you know, twice. And we'll get on to um, our uh, our varsical uh, friends. At, you say... Um, you say- that James, we did. We scored four goals in quick succession. It was like bang, 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 just before for, before half time. Then bang, straight after half time. First thirty minutes, Yawnsville thought, here we go again. No creation, no movement. It was just, you know, you could see Leeds nicking it and winning the game. In fact, Leeds had a lot of possession up to that point. And then there was that middle thirty, that little click where we scored the penalty. Abamian gets a hat trick. Bellerin breaks through and scores the fourth for Arsenal. Well, the third for Arsenal. You know, and we were starting to play some nice football. And then, you know, I think we'll come on to the the last 30 minutes after we've talked about the previous 60. Because I'd like to, in my opinion, give the, the last 30 minutes, I'd like to put it on its own because... It's very, the first 30 is lack of creativity and worrying. The second 30 was when we started to score goals and play some good football with some good movement. And the last 30, I think, needs a lot of discussion because we could have avoided that. I really did enjoy the front four's movement at moments during this game. I thought that there was a lot of promise from the Smith-Rowe-Erdegaard scenario. I was very interested to see Odegaard start and see what he could bring to the team. And I think as a, as a two-ball, as a tandem, they offered something that, that did please me. I mean, Odegaard, once he started getting his foot on the ball, really did come into the game. You know, he was a bit cold at the start, but the ice in his Scandinavian blood melted. <laughs> you know, and I know you have been eagerly awaiting Odegaard's debut, James. And what did you think about it? Well, it was a little bit of a story of the good, the bland and the ugly, I thought. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> it, it, he he was bland and it was a little bit ugly to start with because he was just not... It, it was ugly for me with the fact that he was picked ahead of Emil Smith-Rowe in the 10 and I just don't know whether or not that's the right treatment of a player who has been very significant to Arsenal's fortunes changing in the last couple of months it was bland because Arsenal were bland and they weren't getting the ball to him quickly and he was you know, finding his feet against... a bizarre. Leeds are a bizarre team. They operate very, very, very uniquely in comparison to others they in the league. They are from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yeah, perfectly put. And then the following 45 minutes, I understood what the hysteria was about the boy. There were some, I mean, he looks very, very competent and comfortable on the football in in any area of the pitch. And it's the kind of thing that you used to say, like Danny Ceballos, you never get really comfortable with him on the ball in his own third, because sometimes there's a touch too many and 
and it looks like the ball could be poached. But th- this lad plays the game very differently, and he reminded me a bit of Cazorla when he was under threat with the ball. Yes. I never, I never felt like he looked like he was going to lose the ball, and I can see why people say now he can play eight or ten because he's obviously comfortable deeper. He, something clicked between him and Smith Rowe and Saka where all of a sudden all of them kind of appeared like, as if they were working in a free role and they were intrinsically kind of plotting in each other's positions, which was pulling what shape Leeds had apart. And then he started to get his foot on the ball and get a handle on the game between the lines and start to affect the game with some great touches, uh, with some little layoffs. And then we saw how good the weight of his pass is when... He created, do you know, can I take you back? And <laughs> Do you remember the film Mean Machine with uh, Vinnie Jones? Mate, I've seen every incarnation of the Mean Machine. I've seen the Burt Reynolds one called Mean Machine. I've seen The Longest Yard, both with Burt Reynolds and I believe Adam Sandler. And <laughs> I've seen the uh, Vinnie Jones version of Mean Machine. I could explain to you the storyline in full detail, but yeah. you carry on with your point. <laughs> well, there's the element at the end where Vinnie Jones somewhat gets the ball and lays it off to Danny Dyer and Danny Dyer blasts the ball into an open net. And I kind of felt like the pass that Erdegaard put on for Bellerin was almost that. It rem- I don't know why, but it reminded me of that kind of moment. It's so rare, 20 yards out, you can play a pass where you've cut a team open so much where he's somewhat one-on-one with a goalkeeper and the goal... And and obviously that far out, it's just literally a touch and a shot off. It's, I mean, he didn't even get a shot off on goal. And, and Erdegaard must be literally sitting there scratching his head. I mean, he should be walking home with, a, with an assist in a really, really well-rounded debut, I think. I, I, I did, I thought that he was good, Erdegaard. I enjoyed him. I enjoyed everything they did. One of the things that really did... And I think the, the the three we just mentioned really helped this. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Welcome back to the team. That was, oh, it was... That it was, was majestic. Oh, I mean, it, he, it was he, he was so actually, he was the see. difference. Going back to the points around the good, the bland, the ugly, right? I thought Aubameyang was the difference that meant that we won that game. Well, yeah, you know, totally. I, I mean, the difference also was that in the first 60 minutes, the Leeds keeper had one of probably the worst hour of his career. And Graham Souness was absolutely on his back about that as well. I mean, he he berated him on, on Sky's coverage. Um, I mean, yeah, the Bellerin goal was a good goal from Arsenal's point of view, but it was an absolute Western from the Leeds point of view. Absolutely appalling, appalling defending. And it was a shit show, Bob. On, on his near post. I mean, look, the first goal was was a good bit of skill and, and you know, and Aubameyang's being obviously given um, plaudits for, uh, he went left side when obviously he is kind of a bit famous like Henri for the far post shot. But he's hit it into the ground and it's not hit with, with like venomous purpose. Do you know what I mean? It's... Um, the keeper should do better, I think, with the first goal. I think for the second goal, he's absolutely at fault because he's given away a ridiculous penalty when he had so much time on the ball. And then the third goal, he's been beaten where the ball can only fit fit sort of 15 inches between his leg and the post and Bellerin's managed to get it in that gap. So I think he's probably at fault for the, for the first three goals, the keeper. Absolutely. And he should, and he should do better, but it doesn't take anything off 
of the way in which Aubameyang asserted himself in the game. And it was a different type of Aubameyang. He did play with assertion. He played with, he looked like he had his football brain reinstalled, the way he defended from the front. Perhaps his new tattoo has uh, given him a new lease of life. Uh, Uh, I'm not sure if he has had this new tattoo. I've seen many people say it looks like old film. He looks younger, his hair slightly different. I've... I, I, I bypassed this kind of BS. I, 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 I'm going to say, I think his tattooist was the same bloke from the Saliba video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. I just had to mention that. Yeah, but no, yeah, yeah. you know, Aubameyang, welcome back. You, almost, did you, I don't know if you saw him when he came back home with his match ball and he posted a little video. I've, I've not seen him look so happy as that for a very, very long time, you know, and it was really good to see. It's good to see Arsenal players with smiles on their faces. Mm. That's the pleasing thing. I tell you what, now obviously me and you don't like him in an Arsenal shirt. We are worried about him signing for us potentially. So by us. Now obviously very against him starting for Arsenal, not wanting him to play. But when all said and done, him and Xhaka did an half well in that midfield. Yeah, he had a pretty good game, Sabios. I mean, you know, maybe he feels under threat by the fact that Party's very much made that position his own. His game looked slightly more developed. He played with a bit more maturity, I thought. I thought his distribution was a bit more concise and had and had more purpose to it. You know, I, he, it was a more it was a game of a footballer who was you know who was a bit more of a rounded professional, more so than a raw raw game of a, of a young lad cutting his teeth. That's kind of the best way I could describe it. So you know? let's look at some key points there. And it's when he plays alongside party, he's played half decent Sabias in some games this season. When he's had Smith throw ahead of him, he's played half decent in some games. Now it's no I don't think it's a coincidence that when he's got the right players playing around him, he's actually coming into some good form and playing decent football. You know, we've already spoken about the four ahead of him. The four ahead of him had a good game, you know, Saka. Smithrow, Erdegaard and Aubameyang, they had a good game. So if they're having a good game and the bloke next to him, Xhaka, I think Xhaka's having a great game. And I think in weeks to come, we're going to have to talk about the Xhaka situation as to whether we keep him or lose him in the summer because he could be lucrative to our future, but he could also be lucrative to our future in the Arsenal shirt. But in all due respects, I thought Sabayas had a decent game and it was because of the players around him. You know, we've judged him many times this season playing with Willian next to him, you know, or El Nenny next to him, mm. you know, and players playing on the right and left-hand side that are not enjoying themselves. You know, there was moments in that game they all clicked and even Bielsa talked about how he's, one of his game plans was not to allow him and Xhaka on the ball and, well, they did. And I thought, you know, I thought that in the midfield they had a decent game. As I also thought, the two centre-backs, although there was two goals conceded, Gabriel looks better when he's got like a, a Louise next to him. I thought he looks much more comfortable as the junior of the two centre-backs. Obviously, his age suggests he's young and, and his experience isn't good. But as a, as a junior centre-back, I thought he looked quite adequate. Gabriel? Yeah, I thought Gabriel and Louise were equally... I think Gabriel enjoys playing next to Louise. He's done it a couple of times now. Yeah, that's that's exactly my point. Yeah, and I I think because Louise is an accomplished... Look, a couple of things. 
Luis is a very accomplished distributor, so he will spark confidence into Gabrielle that these sorts of things can be done. You know, if you're in a pub drinking with others, then you're happy to drink, sort of thing. You know, it's kind of obviously he's fluent in Brazilian, so he can converse with Luis in his native tongue very competently. And 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 Luis looked fine on the right side as well. Luis is a really interesting one, Bob. Very interesting, considering, yeah. There's, there's some obviously there's some talk post the game about um, Arsenal considering extending his contract by a further year. I, b- I believe he's only 33 now, so you know in this time next season he'd be he'd be 34. He still looks very fit, Louise. David you Louise, know. 22nd of April 1987, he was born, and we're talking about him being old. Doesn't it make me feel old? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so he's thirty. He's thirty-four in a, in a month and a bit's time. Yeah, so he'd have only he'd only be thirty-five for a month when the next season finishes. You know, if, if the Premier League's back to operating a, a what we understand to be a normal schedule. So I don't think that's too old. I think there's. I think centre backs can probably play slightly longer than wingers and central forwards. I would sign him in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think I'm for extending him. Now, it's an interesting one because if you turn around and say, okay, I'm for it, okay, that means I've now got I've still got Louise, I still have Chambers, I've got Holding, I have Gabriel, I've got Mari, Mavropanos, and our good friend William Saliba. That is still eight centre backs. So I'm for, weirdly, and this is obviously against you know, rules and things. It's it's the two English guys that I'm I'm looking to move on. So you'd like you you consider moving on holding? Yeah, I would. Okay. Because I think there's some value in moving him on. I, I I don't think he's good as Gabriel. I don't think he's as good as Mary. And I think he will get me more money than other players in the same position. So I would move him on. I know it, you know, it might be a popular decision, but I just think for the good of Arsenal, I think that the team I want to see play is I want next season Mary and Gabriel to start as our main centre-backs. I'd like Saliba to play more football and hopefully come good during that time. I don't think you can, Bob, because I was having this conversation with a friend and he made a very good point that left-footed players aren't used to playing in the right centre-back position because they're we had more the, rare. We had the same conversation on last week's podcast with dear old Frankie, didn't we? Well, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's come up a couple of times. And I think Frankie also made the point about, you know, it has to be a right-footed player who plays right centre-back. So, you know, if you've got Saliba and Louise who are right-footed, you've got Mary and Gabriel who are left-footed, and then... Mavropanos is right-footed, as is Holding and Chambers. I think Mavropanos and Chambers are, you know, they're going to... I know Mavropanos has had some decent games in Germany. I, I mentioned that to you the other day and you uh, you laughed at me because obviously I, I just read a tweet and thought, oh, I'll forward that on to you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think probably Mavropanos will be moved on. Chambers for sure will be moved on, even though he's quite versatile. I would re-sign Luis. And there's this, I heard someone mention on Twitter about maybe a coaching role for him. I think he's got a leadership and father, father figure, and, and maybe that's a, a bit of a lame word, father figure, but he's certainly got that influence in and amongst those centre-backs. 
And whilst he's prone to a mistake, he is also, you know, I, I remember when we signed him, I was against it purely. And when he plays, and he's played certain games, and last season against Man City, where he had that mare of a game, you know, I was like, what the hell's going on? Then we, we, then we give him a contract extension a week later. I'm like, good grief, what's going on? But then sort of since then, he's put in some performances and some shifts that I thought the bloke gives, and this is important for me in football, and when I look at footballers on the pitch, irrelevant of their skill, ability and quality, he gives a shit. And yeah. that means, and that for me as a fan means something. I, I mean, I mean, look, he he normally gets caught out because he's sometimes it feels like he's trying too hard, not because he's being lazy. If you know what I mean. I mean, he gets he gets caught missing a little bit, and um, you know, a couple of like he's ended up becoming he's, he's ended up being a subject of somebody who's been targeted a little bit as well. <laughs> oh, did you hear? Did you hear what he was saying? Uh, when the penalty was given, the one that actually was given to Arsenal, right. I believe, or not, was it the one that wasn't given? He was screaming at the match official, apparently, I've heard. He was shouting at the match official at the screen, saying, penalty, red card, just like Wolves, was what he was shouting. Right. And why not? Because that, mm. you know, I, I think he deserves his right to, to mute his point there. Yeah, look, I, I think so too. I, I am quite, I am quite a big David Luiz fan, to be honest. I'm not, I'm, I'm not anti David Luiz whatsoever. I, I quite like him, and um, I, yeah, I'd be pro him signing an extension. I think he has more good games than he does bad for Arsenal. I still think he, when he plays, I think we move the ball quicker. Um, I think he can get the ball to party quicker in the pocket, and you know, and I, I think he's. Um, I think he's a useful. Um, I think he's a, he's a useful asset for Arsenal to use. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think having and this is this is really interesting, and it's about that development of Saliba. He's played in France. Gabriel's played in France, so there's that connection there. And I think that both of them surrounding Saliba maybe for next season could get that boy, you know, more confidence, more understanding of football. And playing a little bit for Arsenal, I firmly expect Arsenal to register Saliba in both the league and Europe next season because it would be perfect for his development. If they don't, I would be surprised if they keep him. Well, something's gone very wrong if they don't, you know, that. Because he's now playing football again regularly and playing half decent. Yeah, well, according to reports. Yeah, exactly. So. So the fullbacks, the fullbacks for Arsenal. Now, there was a few moments for Cedric. And a friend of mine said about Cedric and, you know, FFS Cedric and all of that. And I felt that, yeah, obviously it was Cedric that made, made have an error and he does this. But I don't think you can blame Cedric the person. You can blame a right-footed left-back. And that's your issue. If you play a right-foot at left-back, you will have an issue because, you know, they're at the wrong side. You know, you need them to, have the, to be on the right side to get the right result. You know, if you go and drive an English car all around France, you probably got slightly more chance of an accident than if you drive a French car with the, the driving on the other side. <laughs> Much the same as if you drive a continental car in England, you've got more chance. You know, how good are you going to be at a parallel park when you're sitting the wrong side of the car? <laughs> That's simply it, you know. I like to simplify things with an analogy. That's it, you know. Drive on the right in this country... 
That's how we drive our cars. You sit on the other side, you'll have an accident. And that's what Arsenal are doing. Bellerin scored a goal, but that was about it, wasn't it? I don't know where where we're at with Bellerin, honestly. I mean, he's captain the side quite a few times. I'm, I'm not sure who in the club believes that he has leadership qualities over everyone else in the squad. I, I think he I think he comes across as someone who's who's very anti animation. You know, he's very big on green. He's very big on vegan. He's very big on uh, you know he's very big on humanitarian humanity and. Um, and things like that. I, I just he just doesn't seem to be the kind of footballer who wants to have a, a die-hard attitude, which is still very important in a. I captain. mean, I don't hold it against him all of that. No, he, absolutely not. I mean, he's, he's certainly no. He's not a captain like we just talked about, Louise. Then no, he just yeah, and exactly. Louise would be someone who I think would be genuinely honoured. You know, I think Leno is actually very vocal. I think. I think Tierney has very good uh, captain attributes for the future. He's I, back in training as of today, Kieran Tierney. Yeah, that's positive. Let's just see what, how that. That unfolds. is the lemon and sugar on my pancake. That is yes. today. Yeah, little squeeze is, of this. That is really positive. He's back in training. Just, that. Let's see how that unfolds, old boy. So, how did how did Leeds get back in this game, James? How did they get back in this game? How did we go from sitting there? 4-0 up, looking like we could score five, to being 4-2 up, looking like we could be losing the game. You know, the last 25, 30 minutes, or last 20 minutes, if you will, we looked like a team that was behind. Well, you thought William on. <laughs> really? Da, 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 da. No coincidence there. You're right. He stopped us dead, William. William stops Arsenal dead. You know, you know the thing, the thing is, Bob, right... Sometimes it's okay to concede good goals. You know, we had this point against Southampton, like when Pepe was getting stick for what was a really worked, well-worked move. The header that they score, we still conform to zonal marking. That's not a Wenger thing now. That's what all coaches want to do because four coaches have retained it and no one else has changed it. So, or our last four coaches... The guy, it's a good delivery because it's into a very, very, um, you know, dangerous area. And the bloke's an absolute animal. I mean, he comes from nowhere. He gets above Louise and, I mean, he, he arrows it into the net, you know. So it's a, it's a very well-worked set piece. On the flip side of that, the second goal is diabolical. And this is the, the, the bad and the ugly and the bland of Bellerin, where it is shocking defending. I mean, he is a poor defender, and he plays in defence. Well, what's really interesting is not two minutes before Leeds scored that goal was when Erdegaard laid the ball off to him in a phenomenal pass. His miscontrolling of that ball, and that was dreadful control. Yeah, Because he had, he, in the words of uh, Louis Armstrong, he had, oh, the time in the world. <laughs> and... Uh, and he did. And he can... Tr- oh, dear me. You know... And you've got no excuses at the Emirates. It's on the car. I have I mean. seen people with free-wheeled trolleys control them better than what Bellerin did there. And, you know, three minutes, three minutes later, practically, they're at the other end. They've got him behind him on that side and they've scored, well, a simple 
Go. My, my issue, and I, my, look, we, we talk about Bellerin and Arteta every week, but they are two things that are not getting much better, in my opinion. And I'm not Arteta in, but I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not Arteta out, but I'm certainly not Arteta in yet, even though we've had some, some better results, because he continues to manage the team when he gets an opportunity to in a negative mindset. And I don't agree with that. I do not conform to that. You know, you, you always say to me, the best way to defend is to shoot, you know, because whilst you're shooting, the, um, the, the, the opposition aren't. That is my parlance for everything. That is exactly what I say. And when we brought Willie Adam, and this is a key substitution and a key moment in the match, because we could have brought on Martinelli. Or the Pepe. Inst- or Instagram hacker. Or Pepe, both of which could play on that left-hand side, no issues at all. Pepe's arguably been in great form down that left-hand side. Yeah. We could have brought Lacazette on, played him in the central role, and put Aubameyang out on the left-hand side. Yeah. Instead, we bring on William, and it sucks us dry. We are lifeless. And all of a sudden, we're stopping to move the ball. We're slower moving the ball. The interchanging movement from the front four is not there anymore. And that allows Leeds back in the door. They score a great set-piece goal. You know, that you cannot say that. You know, that was before William came on, but you cannot odds that goal. It was a good, good goal, like we've said. But what happens then, and this is it, and this is the, the snowball effect, James, because then what happens is Leeds come forward. You know, and I really applaud the way Bielsa plays because, mm. because Leeds... To spell it out, they just don't give a fuck, Leeds. <laughs> they play exactly how their manager wants, and their manager doesn't give a fuck. He wants to play football in a certain way. That spooked the shit out of Arteta. Yeah. He's brought on William, the wrong player by miles. And then what happens is the snowball effect, because he then brings on El Nini, because, oh, I need to stop us losing. But that makes us get worse, because it actually detracts from our attacking prowess. And then he goes and brings on Rob Holding right at the end of the game. Maybe that was to waste minutes, etc. But every substitution in a match when you're 4-0 up, 4-1 up when the first sub went in, mind you, you're 4-1 up and playing decent football. At home. At home, and you're smashing the team. And that team's coming at you as well. So if you will, as they're coming at you, you've got more space to go in behind. His negativity, Arteta, and this is poor game management. Good substitutions can make that game five or six. And we're not sitting here going, well, 4-2 was a flattering result, James. We're sitting here going, we won 6-1. We're four points off Liverpool. We can go and fucking get fourth. I'm now looking thinking, well, these are only three points behind us here, and they look the better side the last time I saw us play. And that's the problem. No, it's massively the problem. And by bringing defensive-minded players on, you're asking them to fulfil their defensive duties, which means you are inviting territory and possession. If you bring in attacking players on, right, they're just fulfilling the void that you're that you're replacing. So you're not changing your shape. He has changed the shape time and time again. Drop deeper. Like invite in, in, invite possession, and when you give people time on the ball, they will try to create. And teams in this league now are getting better and better and better. And the standard, the, the genuine, the, the, the overall standard of the footballer um, in the Premier League is such that in his in his absolute moment, he can he can he can put you down. And that's exactly what happened in the Wolves game when. 
you changed it at half time and brought, you know, and, and sacrificed Lacazette, and then Matinho scores from 25 yards. And then all of a sudden you're on the back foot. What if, like you said, at 4 2, they went and scored two quick fire, um, quick fire goals, and you've got nothing up front all of a sudden? You know, and you've saturated your midfield and you've got no creativity. You can't get back in the game. But if you keep, if they're playing out of position, which they were, when Erdegaard put Bellerin, I mean, Bellerin had the entire pitch to himself uh, or the entire Leeds half. You know, there's a very good chance if you keep those people on the pitch, you can break and get those opportunities again. And at six, they can't get back in the game. That's an interesting point because it is about that break. Martinelli, pace, pace, pace. Lots of yeah. Pepe again. Pepe loves to run at players. We've said this before. He likes to beat players. you got team can at you. That's where these players are really advantageous. William, I don't think I've seen him sprint all season. And I, the, the only time I've seen him sweat this season was when Aubameyang brought his hair clippers in. You know, and that's simply it. William doesn't put in any level of effort and that's an important thing. I mentioned about how I, my favourite thing about Louise, he gives a shit. I don't think William does. And I can't, for the fucking life of me, fathom how he stays, how he gets picked and plays. Look, how, did he come, how did he get on that pitch ahead look, of Pepe or Martinelli? I want you to... <laughs> I want you to stick to your agenda because you write the manuscript that we follow and you've not got Willian in for a point's time. So Willian is a point to himself. Like, let's just finish the game off and we'll come to Willian because it is, this point is actually about Arteta and it needs actually discussing because at 4-2, the substitutions that he's made, we, well, he makes all of his substitutions, I think, at 4-1. Or, or certainly two of the three. And then we concede again with Willian on the pitch. And now if we just do a bit of a VAR overview. Look, I, we haven't talked about this. The one on Saka absolutely is a penalty in my opinion. And it is scandalous the, what, what happened within the next 90 seconds afterwards. I'm, I'm absolutely um, seething about, about how quickly Andre Mariner got in the ear of the referee because he, there is no way that he is rocking and rolling, reviewing all angles in that time frame. VAR have got to him so soon after the event. It's it's not even... It's not like Aubameyang's about to line the kick up and he's like, hang on a second, I've had five minutes on this, you really need to go and look at this. He has said straight away, watching it live on a screen, no, not having it. And that, for me, just feels... It is, the, the job of the VAR is to point out where a clear and obvious mistake has been made by a referee. Other than that, the referee's original decision should stand unless they ask VAR to prove them wrong. And VAR interrupted him, which is against the mandate that they are supposed to operate by. Interesting point. The referee had given a penalty and they said no. Right, and it is not clear and obvious. Well, it it looks more clear and obvious from from the I'm giving you two camera angles to look at, Mister Referee. I forget the ref's name, dreadful names. Um, from Andre Mariner, have a look at these two angles. Tell me what you think. Didn't go back to the fact that he had 
his line of sight was not was was not covered in any which way. He had a clear line of sight and did not look at all. Uh, did they again the same as the walls one? They did not look at a three sixty view. He gave him two angles which looked contentious and changed his opinion based on that. And the reason why I wanted to get that out, and and I'm sure you have an opinion as well, but I want to finish on is that VAR is still a massive fucking issue because the Patrick Bamford one at four two, which is why I'm sticking VAR to the Arteta point, is a stone wall penalty on Patrick Bamford. It is absolutely, and VAR wasn't even considered when the referee didn't give it. And how you could interrupt the Saka one, but then not interrupt the next one is absolutely beyond me because Bamford gets between the two Arsenal players and neither of them get near playing the ball and there is contact and he can't not he just can't get through the gap and he's taken down and that is absolutely a foul anywhere on the pitch and the point I'm making about Arteta is after you've made your substitutions should they the, well the referee obviously went to the screen and overturned his original decision so you've got to say that that doesn't stand Leeds absolutely should have a penalty there. And all of a sudden, that's 4-3. And that is seriously fucking squeaky bum time. And that's only a byproduct of the bad decisions you've made in the second half of the game. It is. And we allowed them back in. And they got into our box. And, you know, I'm I'm not too... I I don't think that's a stonewall penalty on Bamford. I, I think that the players have closed the door on him and they've continued, and because they're ahead of him, you know, it's 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 almost the absolute reverse of the Louise decision, which was a penalty. Because Louise is behind him, it's almost like Louise has made the decision to follow his line and bring him down, which leads to be the penalty in the red card. But in the incident with the BAM thing, because the Arsenal players are ahead of him, it's almost like in driving terms, again, it's their right of way, and they've continued on their line. Mm. And that's necessarily why it's not a penalty. I didn't really see much why the Saka first one wasn't a penalty. And again, your your point about clear and obvious error, I applaud that because isn't that what last week's beautiful FOTW, Peter Walton, said it was meant for? It's meant to overturn clear and obvious errors, not get the right decision. So was the Saka one a clear and obvious error? I know Skyv did a poll but they've done an online poll and it was 64, 36% in favour of it not being a penalty. Okay, maybe if you looked at looked at it with video refereeing, you could determine that maybe that wasn't a penalty against Saka. But was it a clear and obvious error, James? <laughs> no. It, it wasn't, wasn't, was it? You know, and at, while we're on the subject of VAR, because, you know, it's important, the last few weeks we have turned around and said, look at cricket, look at this, look at that. And obviously, cricket with the India-England test match, England crumbled in. Uh, There was a couple of decisions against England that were absolutely diabolical. And they they actually make some of the decisions that were made in uh, the football over the last few weeks. (laughs) You know, know, the decision not to give some of those uh, things to England makes the Saka... Uh, penalty situation looked quite fair. But did you see Saka's face when it was overturned? Yeah, he was, was shocked. Oh, oh, no, he was almost like, oh no, not again. You saw Arteta's face. Arteta looked like, wow, wow, wow. 
But you, you, it's, a, it's not a he was, he was perplexed. He, he, uh, I mean, they were, they were, he was perplexed. But, you know, it kind of, it, that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the keeper gifted us a penalty five minutes later. So, yeah. you know, but, um, but you know, my point is, is that, you know, you can do a lot for your goal difference at 4-1, at 4-2. Make the right substitutions. Go back, get six, you know. And, and then all of a sudden it's a positive goal difference and things like that. All these things add up over the course of a season. The reason why I'm not completely content about the way in which that game was played was because we lost the last half an hour from a position where we were 4-1 up. And that that is unacceptable. That's not... There, there is no team who fight for Premier League titles or top four who, who get over-dominated with a free-goal cushion against a team who are as open as a fucking whorehouse in Amsterdam. It is, <laughs> it is, it's not acceptable to manage a team like that. And I'm, and I'm saying that because it has happened on multiple occasions now and he's been caught out. He's been caught yeah, he out does. doing it all so frequently and it is his style of it's his style of management and it's not it, it, it it's a flaw in his management well, style. Well, hold on a second. Look at not two weeks ago. Manchester United versus Southampton, smash them nine one. I mean, the the going for the jugular that they had in that match, the boy Martial is going for a little bit of a dive to get another penalty at 6-1 up or something ridiculous. You know, that's going for the jugular. That's putting a team to bed. You but know? that's Oli Solskjaer bringing players on when, you know, it's like you're Southampton, you're 4-1, don't you? Like, Fuck me, I've got Martial coming on now. And then, and then they had Van der Beek, I think, came on. And it was like, I think he actually made three attacking substitutions. I mean, then, we could have done that, James. We could well, have no. done They absolutely should have done that. I mean, it was the perfect game for Martinelli to come back into the side. You know, he's, he's been a bit part player since his injury. 3-1 or 4-1 up with a licence to just absolutely run at these lot. Um, in behind, you can try and get a goal into Lacazette, who's desperate for a goal. He's been playing good football without a goal recently. Makes perfect sense, you know, because we know Lacazette goes through these periods where he scores for four games and he goes missing for six. And if you were doing the stats on Lacazette, you were like, look, if I could keep him in the goals longer, I might get his form on the pitch where he's, uh, you know, a good athlete, a good defender from the front. A good, a, uh, you know, a good team player, uh, X, Y, and Z. You might get all these other elements just for a little bit longer as well. And you know, Erdegaard was an obvious substitution uh, because he's, you know, they're getting him up to match fitness. And Smith, Rob, and Saka were probably two players. Saka has to be protected. You, you've lost KT and Party in this season. Two of your best players. You can't afford to to lose Saka. You know, you've got to start protecting the most important assets in this side and bringing on another centre-back and a defensive midfielder. I mean, it's 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 honestly, Arsene Wenger would be turning in his managerial grave, being 4-1 up, having three centre-backs and three defensive midfielders or three now two defensive-minded midfielders and one sitting in, you know, against... against <laughs> Honestly, protecting a lead against a, a home as well. I mean, it's it's ab- it's absolutely beyond me. I, I can't. There isn't another manager in the league above us who you have respect for who does that. No, not even not even Jose Mourinho would do that, and he is obviously the king of negativity at the minute. Yeah, he, he would. He would if he was four one up, he'd go for the jug. 
Yeah, you'd never get... Well, Jose Mourinho does like to embarrass teams. He does like to beat teams hard. So... Well, he did it with United earlier on this season. Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm quite... I'm, you know, so it's, it's, it's really, really kind of like, you know, it's left a sour taste the way that game finished. That, that game should have finished 6-7. You know, we, I agree. we should have burned them. That would, and that would have been our proper, that would have been our proper, pro, you know, a, um, a proper Arsenal um, win, where we've put a proper, you know, the goal difference wasn't better than the Fulham game at the start of the year. That's still, winning a game by three goals has still been our best, our best result. And, and this game should have topped that by a mile, you know. I agree. I agree. It was. It ended up a flattering result, but but really, should that we should be looking at that as a flattering result for Leeds, but it wasn't. It was one for us. So yeah, we won. We got three points, James. It's positive. Yeah. Move on to the next games and everything else like that. Yeah. So uh, it's that time of the week. <laughs> it is time for this week's FOTW. We've had some contenders this week. The DRS officials in India were well up on my list. <laughs> You know, I wasn't very happy with Arteta bringing on uh, Willian, so he nearly got there. Willian nearly got on the list as well. But after some careful consideration and discussion, James, it's over to you. This week's fuck of the week is the UK government and probably more directed at that gimpy head moron Boris. Because... I have, obviously, as the listeners will know, and you've well known, Bob, been in Dubai now for some time, and I was just planning my return. And subsequently, the UAE, who is the second most vaccinated country on the planet and has had less than 1,100 deaths in total in COVID, whilst the UK have amassed a fantastic 100,000 plus, has decided to state that me, myself and my family would need to stay in a, what can only be um, described as a outer West London prison for 10 nights under the um, illustrious supervision of a security guard where you're allowed to individually go for a solitary walk around the block once a day and be served free meals and all of your all your choices hot or cold and you will be given But you just have to pick hot or cold. Yep, yeah, hot or cold. No choice. Do you get wine? You don't get anything other than water, tea or coffee. If you want soft drinks or if there is any available alcohol, it is at a surplus payment. Obviously I would expect to pay for alcohol. Absolutely, but that would be understood. And I would be un- understanding with that if this was either one of two things, a heavily subsidised arrangement or that, in fact, actually, for the protection of the country, a government-funded exercise. No, 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 Robert. The reason why Boris is fuck of the week is he wants me to pay £700 an evening for this privilege. What? Exactly. So, so 700 where are you staying? The Dorchester? No, 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 no. You are staying in a slum, my pedigree chum, in fucking Staines. It is a, uh, you know, it is it is a um, a hotel-affiliated three-star restaurant with a family room. So it would be a double bed for myself and my wife, a single bed, 
uh, which is actually a sofa bed, and then a camp bed for my two children. And that room rate, which I, I think looking on booking.com before I decided on my um, distinguished FOTW, actually looks like if I was to book that facility in March, it would cost me about £145 per evening. Even that's quite steep for what yeah. you just described. But I think it's because it's so close to the airport and they charge premium for it. So let's just let that go. But obviously, with that in mind, that hotel has factored in a margin into that amount of money. So that's not trade, right? They're like, we can sell this room at this price and make money. Yeah. So that means that they are charging me £555 per day for four people to eat. It's absolutely barbaric. It's £135 per person per day for free meals, water, tea and coffee. It's, you know, and, and all of your, all your choices is hot or cold. You know, you're going to get curry and rice for dinner. You're going to get maybe, I don't know, a, a, a cold lunch would be a ploughman's probably. <laughs> you love you know, a ploughman's. <laughs> yeah, or, um, you know, or a hot alternative is, I don't know, God knows, a sandwich. Look, even if you're given um, a full English Hot, hot breakfast, a salmon fillet with rice and vegetables for lunch, and uh, you know a tenderloin with um, potato and vegetables for dinner. There's still so much margin being sucked off the table. It is absolute. I, 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 honestly, I'm beside myself. How seven thousand pounds for ten nights? It's it's absolutely outrageous. Mate, and, I reckon you could get sandals for less than that. No, well, so uh, so I, I've obviously looked at the so that is why, by the way, Boris and his and his and his um, travel agency corrupt money Grant smuggling Shanks friends must have his meddling little mitts on this. Yes, yes, absolutely. That that squiggly little, little <laughs> that, that thing. bloke. That bloke's a fuck. Uh, yes, he is. He's not, he's not of the week. He'll qualify for it somewhere in the next few weeks. Don't get me wrong on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, he you is know, Remember, this is the UK government, that one of the last transport ministers he will gave, be, gave, he a, will be gave one a ferry of contract. Four, yeah. Remember he, that? When, yeah. And they gave yeah. a ferry contract to a company without any fucking boats. He, Walton, Johnson, and... Oh, I don't know. There's probably one other lurking, but all of them for fuck personality of the year, which hopefully Gary Lineker will host for us on BBC come Christmas, will all be uh, no doubt quite favourites with the bookies. But Walt Walton's probably, um, yeah, for, for, for fuck personality of the year. Walton is leagues ahead of everyone at the moment. Yeah, he's he's on, he's on, he is on top. Mate, so we're not going to discuss what you're going to do, actually, on the podcast, because obviously that's private. We, I will have a chat with you afterwards, but okay. I don't think the rest of the world need to know what James is going to do, you know, plan how long he's going to be there and that. But we'll, we'll chat about that. But yeah, James, I absolutely... You know, whether people agree with the quarantine hotel situation or not, or they, they like the idea of it, the rate that you are describing is absolute fucking burglary. It yeah. is unbelievable. That There'll be plenty crazy. of people who will be like, fucking suits them right, going off to Dubai or going off to here or going off to there. I'm stuck in my house. And, and, and you know... And, and, and I've had lots of work out here and, and was fortunate enough to be in a position where we could stay out here and, um, and have, and, and, you know, and I'd say to people, it was at my expense and uh, for the, generally for the mental sanity of my 
my two young children who were really struggling in lockdown, it was a really, really sound investment. So I, I don't regret it one bit. And I do feel sorry for all my friends and family and yourself, Bob, and people who I speak to back home who struggled with with the lockdown, you know. But everyone I've spoken to, you know, who's close to me has said, like, you, you know, when I've told them, obviously, how it affected my children and my wife and things like that, you know, they were like, it sounds like you did absolutely the right thing. So that is absolute punishment. I mean, whether I could afford it or not is one thing, but there would be people who generally wouldn't have £7,000. If they if they were a family of four, it's £1,750 per family member or per or individual in the room. So even if it's just a couple coming home and it's £3,500, it's an extortionate amount of money. You know, and they put you straight into a, a, what I understand a government finance scheme, you know, and then they can plug back into, to, you know, basically giving you a loan where you pay it off. You know, it's, it's scandalous, honestly. It's, there will be people that generally can't afford it and it would push people over the edge. And when they've never administered or policed COVID that well when I've been in the UK previously, to, to operate something like this now, just it, it it just feels like a money making exercise more Mate, so than it's 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 absolute complete and utter bollocks that I can have neighbours having families round and all of that continuously during lockdown. Can all these people breaking the fucking rules during lockdown? Parties here, parties there, doing this. You know, I've had a mate tell me that he's had a neighbour that he's called up on because they've having a load of people around. The police just go around and stop them. And don't get me wrong, the police are doing an amicable job here. It's not them that my beef's with, you know, because they've got because there's a lot of constitutional shit they have to go by. But if the people that are breaking all the rules just get told, well, don't do it again, yet here you go, son. And it, let, let's not talk about you here. Let's talk about somebody that's gone away and they're having to come home. Next thing you know. 1700 quid bill. That's a lot of, that's a lot. I, I couldn't afford that. You know, I ain't going to spend 1700 quid to go and stay in a Premier Inn when I've got to stay in the room all day. You know, there's only so much joy you can get from a Hypnos mattress. You know? But, they, but they're, you know, they're not, they're, they're pushing people straight into a, ment, into a mental health issue. Again, it's not, you know, you, it's not even like reasonable TV. It's like um, it's like one of those kind of free TV boxes. You know, you've got kind of twenty channels or whatever to choose from, and then oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's brutal. Things you've got twenty channels to choose from, James. But when your kid's in bed at nine o'clock because they're young, you've got no channels to choose from because if you turn your TV on, that's the end of it. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I just. I don't understand why. You know, they had they actually had quarantine hotels in Melbourne, in Australia, where yeah. they got the idea from. But that actually sparked an outbreak because they had their food delivered uh, one family across the hall from another family, and basically what happened is the food was delivered. Knock on the door. Here's your meal, like a, a trolley dolly on a plane, and they both opened their doors at the same time. One was infected with COVID. It goes straight across the hallway and infects the other family. Right. So. You know, that was in Australia, Melbourne. Obviously not, you know, you can't, you know, that's, that's fluke. But mate, I wish you well. It's a personal one for me. I mean, I, I just, but, but thinking about it kind of candidly, there'll be plenty of people that wouldn't be able to accommodate that. And I, I just don't see, I understood why Australia did it because they shut their borders. They weren't even accepting flights in or out from any country and you weren't allowed to leave under any conditions 
and it was a very, very, very strict mandate. One is one that the British Isles, as an island, should have operated thir- eleven months ago. Well, mate, if you think about it, 11, 11 months ago, instead of shutting our borders, they should have done. They allowed the Cheltenham Festival to go ahead. And don't get me wrong, I watched the Cheltenham Festival. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it. But that was a lot of people that, you know, that's the mentality why this now smacks and hits you in the throat. You know, mm. I, I, you know, you know what they should be doing? They should be charging you two grand for a vaccine. Yeah, well... Uh, that that whatever 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 um, it just it just look it just feels it feels a bit inhumane to be honest and it's the you know they've vaccinated 16 million people so far in the UK it's completely different circumstances you know and the way in which they administer COVID out here in the UAE is so much more advanced than anything I came into witness with the UK and obviously the stature of the country in the UK and the economy there just shows really how far it misses the mark it is it, there's so much more on it here i mean there's there's no excuse for you know six-year-olds are wearing masks not 11 plus there's there's temperature gauges on every um social commercial entity out here you know they're, they're tagging people they're making you pcr tests like on the like before the plane on the plane off the plane it is you know, the quarantine regulations, they're, they're, there's, a, there's an app out here basically where if someone's not wearing a mask or if there's a breach of the 50 or 70% restrictions, you can report someone. You get rewarded for reporting people and then they shut those businesses down and fine them. You know, it is rigid. And that is why they've kept their, that's why they've kept their infected rates here down, you know, so, so that they can actually keep all of the amenities open. So the residents are wearing masks, but they're getting a chance to operate. Mate, I can agree with you. Anyway, let's not turn it into a a political bash because it just, um, it's officially Nicole's birthday. So happy birthday. Um, Happy birthday. But look, point three, yeah, let's move on. It is... Why, 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 Willie-Anne? Why, 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 Willie-Anne? I won't sing again, I promise you. How on earth does he keep getting on the fucking pitch, James? I don't know, but I would prefer that we had Will-I-Am. I would prefer that we had William Defoe. I would prefer that we had... Uh, I prefer we had fucking Tom Jones. Yeah, I mean, I can't... Look, you, are, you asked me to give you my um, gym football agent insight, Yeah. And it was, this could potentially be a contractual problem for Arsenal. When they did the deal with Willian to give him a three-year contract, that, you know, when an agent negotiates a deal, people that get kind of pent up on contracts need to understand that the intricacies of a player contract is so much more in-depth than just basic wages and things like that. I used to tell you these stories about Ozil all the time. And then some of them used to actually come out in the media and you say, you've said this, you've said this. You know, Willian's contract could be filled with so many commitments in it that that could be our biggest downfall. And his basic salary could be lower than what he was paid at Chelsea, but he may be given some... um, He might have done a deal that you will play in 75% of the Tier 1 games, which will be any European competition in the Premier League, you know, then your salary will be, your basic salary will be this, but it will be guaranteed by um, appearances, uh, goals, assists, win bonuses, 
clean sheets, things like that. So they may have had to bring him on yesterday because he has been in such... like It is a potential playbook that he had to come on, sorry, not yesterday, on, on, um, on Sunday in the Valentine's Day game because he has been in such diabolical form and Arsenal, to, further to that, have been in such poor form when he's been on the pitch that he may not have triggered any of his guarantees in his contract and he simply had to be the person that came on so that he triggered a win bonus so his contract didn't become under scrutiny that Arsenal weren't meeting the minimum requirements on it. Well, so so basically he had to come on uh, in a bit more layman's terms here because he wouldn't be meeting minimum wage. Well, as per his contract, not minimum as, wage per se. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Uh, I was using that as my analogy. Arsenal would have a leg to stand on if they turned around and said, look, the reason why you've been underpaid is because your goals and assists aren't consistent with your previous um, career to date. And they've got that bit to stand on. So that might, let's say he's on 125k and they've guaranteed him 200 bills, yeah? So they've got 75 grand to make up. That could be made up of five things. A fifth of it can be lack of gold. A fifth of it can be lack of assists. If Arsenal are winning as many games as they won last season and he's not been privy to any win bonuses, they might have to like get him on the pitch for the wins, you know? So that they're like, well, we've acknowledged that. We've acknowledged that That's part. That's an unbelievable contract. That's an unbelievable Because you do because you get you know, I remember Ozil's original contract when people were talking about the ex- extortionate amount of money that he was on. And it was because he was being paid like seventeen and a half thousand pounds in assist. £20,000 a goal, £20,000 for starting a game, um, you know, and then £8,000 for a sub-appearance, £15,000 for a win. His basic salary could have been something like 10 or £12 million, you know, but he could have earned £20 million with all the extras. So, and then people are like, you're on three hundred and fifty grand a week. Well, you're not because Arsenal are paying you down. Because, you know, Arsenal are going to pay your contract down because... Or, or, or deregister you because the, he might not have this. It might be Willian's coat, Willian's agent might have got it into his consciousness. You will play him in these games. Obviously, when Urza Well, that's was, the thing. There's the same agent with Willian than there is with Edu. Right. They've okay. Got, they've got the same agent, Willian and Edu. Yeah. And, and, and Edu might have said to you, Willian, my brother, don't worry, man. I guarantee you the game time because Chelsea are signing players. They're looking at Havertz. They're looking at Werner. You know, you might not get game time there. So if I guarantee you the game time, will you move? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll so move. So there's that. So there's obviously that talk with Edu and the agent there and the contract that you just talked about, which I find alarming. But then is Arteta's willingness to play him? You know, it makes me wonder who it is... It might not be Arteta's willingness to play him. It may be conditional, you know. So, sorry, so this thing then, that, you know, I, I want to talk about this for 10 seconds and that's it. Okay. So, if Arteta's willingness to... If he is forced to play Willian... Yeah. ...against his wishes... Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say one word. Ozil. Yeah. How can he turn around and say, it's my decision, my decision, my decision, if he's then being penned into a corner to play a cotton bud? 
He hasn't come out and said that about William. It's my decision to play him. You haven't heard him come out and say that yet, have you? But he can't. He can't obviously turn around. He cannot come out and say anything other than it's his decision to play him. He he does come out and say, well, he's trying hard in training. He's playing well in training, so I'll give him a chance. He's had enough chances on the pitch. You cannot play him. He is quite simply. We did the stats the other week. You know, we could generate stats left, right, and centre. Willian is bad for how we play. He is the equivalent of a fire blanket on your dinner. It won't cook. So, so the point around Urzel is, if we're sticking on this, me, I'm just having this kind of, you know, um, brain fart that it's contractual, is that at the time Urzel signed his extension, he was one of the highest profile footballers in the football club and probably didn't even think it was fathomable that his position was under scrutiny. So he didn't need to put a condition in his contract that he would guarantee game time. And anyway, even if he did have it, when it became a political matter with his situation against China about the Urkhaven Muslims, they might have turned around and said, Meza, we've got to call you in. We're not cancelling your contract but this playing element you've breached because you've done something political which has caused us an issue of a major sponsor, just letting you know. So you don't, you know, these things are not just, they are entertainment businesses. All these things are relative. There might not be a break clause in William's contract until the end of the first year where it can be revisited, you know, and then all of a sudden, or... You know, you might see. I think it will be testament if it's a, if it's a contractual thing. If they try and sell him in the summer, yes, I I, I would. I, I'm I'm cheesed off for me. His time is gone for me. So, talking of anyway. moving on, we've got Benfica in Europe. Europe starts again. Neutral grounds, two legs. Yeah. Benfica twice, and then City obviously on Sunday. Mm. Now, just want to breast across just. Touch City for a little bit before we go back to Benfica. Do we put a weakened side against City to ensure positive or try and ensure strong side and positive results against Benfica? Well, the problem you've got, not problem, but the thing you, the difference you've got with that is that the game against City should be relative to the, the game you play Thursday. If you have a good game against Benfica, and, and you know you take an advantage into the second leg of that game. You know you might be more inclined to rest players, but it would be very bizarre for him to do that after resting players in the FA Cup to play a strong team in the league to then play a weakened team in the league. You know, since that FA Cup game, he's won a game, he's drawn a game, and he's lost two, followed by a win. So he so he's really lost his impetus by only taking one point from nine. Four from 12. Four from 12. There you go. Four from 12, one point from nine. Uh, but what he's done there is he's lost his points by I mean, doing I, that. I don't, look, Matt Ryan could play in goal. It's, it's, it has weakened you slightly, but it's you're okay with it. You can't play anyone else at fullback because you've got no one else available. You've got Gabrielle Mary holding and Louise all available at centre-half. Arguably, all of them can do a fairly symmetrical job. Party's not available. You've got Sabaya, Shakarel, Nenny in the midfield to choose from. You know, you've not got Willock or Maitland-Niles and, and Party's injured. Erdegaard can maybe play in the eight, but then you've got Erdegaard and, and Mill smith Rowe in the ten, and then you've got a whole host of wingers, and then you've got Lacazette, Nketiah, Aubameyang and Martinelli 
who can all play in the nine, but obviously Martinelli, Aubameyang can also play in the left wing role. So you say weakened, it's just going to be a bit of a, it's more of a change up. He's ended up, he's actually got us a host of a squad that are similar in in ability. Just, it's just so, form so of the let's, day. let's look at in contrast. In the group stages of the European football, we were playing the weaker side on the Thursday, the stronger side on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, I'm suggesting we probably should play the stronger side on the Thursday with the rotated side on the Sunday in this instance, purely because I think go out there in that first leg, put a big smacking marker down, lay a big score down, that will help us moving forward. You know, certainly it would be beneficial to us. Benfica aren't in great form. They've lost the Super Cup to Porto. They've not been accumulating a lot of wins since the turn of the year. Uh, you know, it's probably not as worrying when we got drawn against them. We were obviously very worried that we were drawn against Benfica. Uh, I'm probably not as worried now as I was then. You know, I think we could do a job against Benfica. I think we can play reasonable enough to beat them. Neutral ground as well. You know, I think VAR is probably going to be more beneficial to us in Europe than it is in the in the UK. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I'm going to pick a lineup, if you will, James, uh, for Thursday against Benfica. Leno in goal. Uh, right and left back would be Cedric at left, Bellerin at right. Uh, in the middle of defence, I'm probably going to go Mary and Louise. I think it would be benefit, be a good game for Mary to come back in. Uh, middle of the park, again, I'm probably going to go Ceballos and Xhaka. Uh, no, I'm actually not. I'm actually going to go Xhaka and Erdegaard in the middle of the park. And then I'm going to go across the, th- the the next three, the top three of you all there. Uh, right wing Saka, central Smith Rowe, left wing Pepe, Aubameyang up front. I'm going to try and get my goals on the marker early as possible to enable me to rest and flex. But then my substitutions are going to be keen. I'm not going to be looking to bring on Willian. I'm not going to be looking to bring on El Nenes and things like that unless I have to. What I am going to be looking to do is to get players on to keep players fresh. So, okay, off comes Smith Rowe. I'll bring on Lacazette for Smith Rowe potentially or Nketiah for him or something like that. Move the players around the pitch to en- enable freshness in the legs. I probably wouldn't play, I probably won't play Smith Rowe against Man City, I'll say that much. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I still think there's enough enough adverse results going on in the league to still think that you're still in with a chance of a top six finish if you can get something out of the next two league games. So, look, I think you've just got to acknowledge the fact that you've missed a massive opportunity with the opposition that we've played in the last four to six games where we've not taken more out of the games. Uh, Lost to Villa, lost to Wolves, you know, lost to others. I mean, that's right, James. I mean, it is true to say we are six points behind Liverpool now who are in sixth place. But that's Liverpool in sixth place. You've got, obviously, Mm. West Ham, we're eight points behind level games. Chelsea, we're also eight points behind level games. Level games is something that's important there. People are suggesting, and and, you know, when you look at it mathematically, those three teams, Chelsea, West Ham, Liverpool, we are not a million miles away. But you know, our next run of games is, is telling. And the reason I refer to the games that we've dropped points in is because we're home to City now, then we're away to Leicester, then we're away to Burnley, which is an opportunity, then we're home to Spurs, away to West Ham, home to Liverpool. So, you know, 
five of the next six league games are all games where really you they're probably games where you you're not going to expect to take of the next 18 points t- 10 points would be an exceptional effort I think yeah and you've got the teams around you so saying we are so close to Liverpool is is fair but what's in between you and what's around you and what's got to come you're a million miles away and that's why it's so upsetting Beating Leeds on Sunday, followed by Liverpool losing, doesn't make me feel joyous that we're so close to this team. It upsets me because in certain elements during this season, before and after Christmas, we have dropped points where we shouldn't have dropped points Mm. that would see us closer. We've had VAR decisions against us that have cost us points that would see us closer. You know, so for us to be having one of the worst seasons we possibly have and the whole league, other than really Manchester City at the top and and probably Sheffield United, West Brom and Fulham at the bottom, the whole league itself is almost in a little bit of silly season because mm. of, of the way everything's working. Because of the amount of cancellations, the amount of games in hand, there isn't a trueness to the way the table looks at the moment. So yeah, yeah it's true to say that Arsenal are 10th, only six points behind Liverpool. But Leeds have a game in hand. Spurs have a game in hand. Villa and Everton both have two games in hand. You know, Everton win both their games in hand. They're fourth. Villa win both their games in hand. They're fourth. Yeah. You know, these are important things to say. Arsenal are close in numbers. Yes. Mathematically, which I know is Arteta's favourite word, we are close but in realism, we are so far behind. I've mm. used this many times before when describing how the league is at the moment. We're in the eighth lane of a 400-meter race, and we're yet to see the stagger. And when we see the stagger, you're going to see that we're actually quite a way behind those teams that we're suggesting we're in. We need a lot to happen in the next four games. The next four games are telling for Arsenal, which is why I think we should be putting all of our eggs in the Europa League basket because I actually do think we're probably playing on a game-by-game basis well enough to beat the teams in front of us in the Europa League. I think we could win the Europa League. I'll say that now. Arsenal can win the Europa League. Can they get sixth spot? Not a cat in hell's chance. Mm -hmm. Well, on that, I tend to agree that he should go strong on Thursday night, you know, put a marker down. It's going to be a really interesting game on Sunday to really to to, to you know City are flying and I'm I'm really intrigued to see how Arteta manages that game. So let, let's go into these two games now. I think first is a must win. I think Sunday is a really really good uh, you know good example of what what a marker and where we're at as a football club um, and what what the gulf is between where we are and where we need to be. Um, you know, historically, we've had an all right record against City, and uh, Arteta's actually done okay against Guardiola. So it's going to be an interesting one, old boy. And um, yeah, we shall uh, wait with bated breath, shall we? Should we do some scores? Benfica 2 0. To Arsenal, of course. Yes. I agree with that. I agree with that scoreline, absolutely. And City, I think we will lose 3 1. I think we'll beat. Benfica 2-0, I agree with you. I think Aubameyang will score again. I think we will get beat 3-0 by Manchester City. And that's that's it, really. 
<laughs> well, look, <laughs> happy pancake day. I hate having to finish an Arsenal pod thinking that Arsenal are going to lose a game. But City are prolific at the moment. You know, I'm actually, that, that game I hope he plays because I'm really, really, really excited to watch Foden versus Saka. That will be a really, really, really good contest. The trouble with Foden versus Saka, James, is that standing next to Foden, you'll have De Bruyne potentially. Well, exactly. He just so happens to get he just so happens to get fit for this fucking game, you know. And De Bruyne's record against Arsenal is outrageous. So. <laughs> Only Aguero's got a better record, but that's the thing. Standing next to Foden is your your De Bruyne's, uh, your Gudongun, who's playing probably some of the form of his life. Well, he's he. Yeah, his, his, his goal-scoring record in 2021 alone is astronomical. I think he scored nine times in 2021. But next so, to Saka has got Willian. As long as he's not picked. As long as but he'll that, be picked. That, yeah, he won't be picked for that game because it's a loss, so he won't get no bonuses. So uh. <laughs> As long as that contract negotiation point I uh, dreamed up isn't real, then... Uh... You could be right, James. You could be right. It's been a lovely chat with you anyway this week. As always, we've got two games to digest and talk about. The eight, it's an eight o'clock game for you on Thursday, oh boy, so you're going to be watching that early doors Friday. Not too good for you. And yeah, I am looking forward to a couple of Arsenal games uh, for the next few weeks. So good on with the football. Absolutely, sir. All right, well, look, as always, it's been a pleasure. Episode 18 wrapped up there. I'm Jim. And I'm Bob. Evening all.